Hi, and welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps on one of our greatly appreciated radio syndicates across the country. Or maybe you found us on the podcast, which can be found anywhere podcasts can be found, but also at thegreenmajority.ca. However you found us, thank you so much for being here. My name is Stefan Hostetter. You may recognize that I'm introing this instead of Dave, which I'll explain in a couple seconds. But thanks so much for being here. Today, this is a special episode, which with just one long interview with Brian Duarte, who is the co-founder and managing partner of Black Tech Capital. We'll get to that in half a second. And if you're listening to this on the radio, you will get a few more musical breaks than usual throughout the conversation. This is our second last episode of the year, but due to the recording schedules, this is the last opening that I'll be recording uh, prior to 2022. Next week, we've got a great show for you running down the top ten, the top stories of the year. But today, and before we dive into the interview, I just wanted to take a second to thank everyone who supported the show this year. This includes everyone whose donations help the show and the station keep going, all of our guests and frequent contributors. Special shout-outs to Amir Jandali, Alex Tavasoli, Matthew Klippenstein, Emma McIntosh, Fatima Syed, Chris Moray, Andre Forsyth, and Tim Nash. And also, for those of you who follow us on social media, you'll be seeing a post about this soon, but for the past few months, we've been supported by our incredible social media coordinator, Raisha. So thanks to Raisha, too. And last but not least, my fellow co-hosts and dear friends, David franken Erlen, host editor, and Lauren Elizabeth Cor Latour. It's truly an honor to do this each week, and I wish you all out there working to tackle climate change and all these issues that can feel so overwhelming at times. A restful break. We'll go to a short music and then we will return with Brian Duarte. Enjoy the show. I am here with a feature interview uh, with Brian Duarte, the co-founder and managing partner of Black Tech Capital. Thank you so much uh, for being here, Brian. Thank you very much, Stefan. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so good to chat. So my first question is what you're aiming to do you know, with Black Tech Capital and with the fund itself. But I'm realizing that for some folks listening, they might not actually understand what a fund is in the first place. So maybe we can start with the concept of a fund and then get into specifically why you thought this particular fund was important. Sure. I'm happy to cover that because quite frankly, when I started this off a year ago, I didn't know as much about what a venture fund is. And, and it's been a, a great learning experience and, you know, understanding what this whole world is. I guess the simple way to put it is a venture fund is a vehicle for getting private investment into the venture fund. And then you take that money and deploy it into startup companies that are typically a higher risk, but it's a way of deploying capital into those companies for a potential future return. It is considered a, a riskier venture than say putting your money in bonds or, or the stock market. But also on that end, there's a potential for higher returns out of something like that. 
money can be raised from private individuals, from institutions, larger scales, not this particular fund. You could look at pension funds, could put money into it. And then it's a way of, again, as I said, supporting that startup ecosystem, taking opportunities and emerging companies or companies that are growing and you take an equity stake in that company. So you end up owning a piece of that company. And then at some point in the future, if that company say is bought out or goes public is the two typical options or raises further capital, that further money is used to buy out the earlier investors or buy it out if it's gone public. And then that is returned to the investors in the venture fund. So I think that sort of gives a simple understanding what a venture fund is. Awesome. And so these exist in all over the world and there are many of them. Why did you sort of set out to create this particular one? I mean, there were, there was two reasons for creating this particular fund. So Uncle Black Tech Capital, we are a pre-seed fund. So I'll go into the definition of what that is, investing in black entrepreneurs, specifically in the clean tech field. So the reason for the fund is last year in North America, there was $150 billion deployed in venture capital money less than 1% went to black founders. So that's an obviously missing in the ecosystem. It's a North American wide statistic. I, I don't have the Canadian specific statistics, but there's this need because as black founders are out there, myself being an entrepreneur over the years, it was very difficult to go raise money, to raise money for a company. And so that was one of the things I wanted to address with this fund was making that difference and making capital available for entrepreneurs. As I mentioned, pre-seed funds. So that's usually the early stage. Companies typically go through stages of when they're growing, the first investors or your friends and family. The next stage may be uh, private angel investors may put in money. And then you get into what's the, the pre-seed stage. So early stage venture funds like Black Tech Capital would come in and invest into the company. And then you go through seed funding, series A, series B, and can continue on until maybe eventually the company goes public at some point in the future. So th that early stage, there is a lack of funding in general in the ecosystem. And again, much less so available for black founders. And then my personal mission, I guess, around it, I'm here to try and make a difference for the environment. That's where I've been working the last 10 years of my business career and that sustainability, clean tech side. So in creating a venture fund, I didn't want to create a venture fund that was investing in the latest gaming technology or the next big social media platform. I wanted something that was going to make a difference for the planet. And so that's why focusing on the clean tech side. So we like to say with this venture fund, it's a, that impact of social responsibility meets environmental initiatives and, and hence the reason for the fund. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so let's dive into, I think, both of those pieces, maybe piece by piece, starting mm -hmm. with this, you mentioned that less than 1% of these funded operations have black leads. And so there are obviously some unique challenges faced by black entrepreneurs and yourself being a Black entrepreneur, can you dive into what unique challenges Black entrepreneurs face? I mean, the unique challenges are are, are a number of fronts. Typically, and especially in the venture fund world, most venture fund managers, when they're going looking for companies to invest, they're going to their traditional markets, going to their traditional sources for that funding. As I say to people, they're going to the same pool 
to go fishing, right? To find those companies to invest into. Black founders, they probably didn't go to the same universities. They don't necessarily in the same social circles, that is. And so they're missing from your traditional venture capital firms in terms of being able to go to them for capital. So that's one thing. There's also some unique challenges that black founders face. I mean, when they're dealing with things that are specific to the black community, it's not something that other not white or other ethnic group, uh, or shouldn't even say ethnic group, other typically other venture funds, they're not necessarily aware of these unique challenges. One example I can give, which is not something our fund is focusing on, but in the US on the financial side, so what's the fintech space, there's a lot of investment into black founders that are looking at the unbanked. So these are people that do not have bank accounts. That's not a thing for most people. And when they somebody that's developing something in that space goes to a, a traditional venture fund. They say, that's not a thing here in the U.S. We don't have anything like that to deal with. So it, it's not an issue. It's, it's, it's not a thing here in Canada when it definitely is for certain segments of the population. So, so that's the unique challenge faced by black founders. And I don't, I mentor a lot of black founders on top of just the venture fund. And I don't know how many of them have come to me and said, what a refreshing conversation this is. Somebody that gets me, somebody that understands the challenges and, and what I've faced. Another big challenge for black founders that's unique. There's no intergenerational wealth. Those early stages, they don't have uh, mom and dad or that rich uncle or rich aunt that they can go to and say, hey, can you help fund this? That is almost minimally existent in the black community. So that is another huge challenge. The companies we're right now looking to fund, most of them, when I compare them to say their counterparts would have been funded already and they've yet to get their first private investment. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you mentioned the fact that the lack of having friends and family as their first round actually makes it hard to get to where you are, which would be the pre-seed. Correct. I mean, interesting how you probably actually have to probably lean maybe even further in towards that friend and family round to, to close that gap. We will probably have to start doing that more and more. What I've found so far is that the companies we're looking at, they've had to bootstrap it. So they've been doing it on their own. It may be taken longer than would be typical. So they're further along. But as we start investing more into this ecosystem, we are looking at how can we take this further back? How can we support those founders that, as you said, don't have that friends and family to, to turn to for that initial investments? Yeah. And so let's layer that secondary piece that you mentioned earlier onto this. What are the problems that Black founders might experience within clean tech spaces specifically? The, the challenges for specifically, well, let's do it on two parts. The clean tech space, uh, from the first perspective, it's still not I'll call it sexy enough for a lot of investment yet. You're, you're probably not telling you anything and your listeners something new, but maybe I am. Back in 2008, 2009, the clean tech sector was starting to get some initiative and then the stock market collapsed and, and all the money got pulled out of that. And even though there's still a lot of talk, it's more widely embraced that there is climate change and people are realizing there's something to do. It's still not an area that has been well-funded and it's typically an area in terms of funding it, it's a longer time to see it. It's not your latest gaming app that you can develop and put out there 
or your latest fintech app that you can put out within a year. A lot of these technologies take time to develop. And so seeing that investment earlier on is not quite there in the North American ecosystem at all. And then you layer that on for black founders. An example is one of the companies that we're looking to invest into. They've got a great technology in the aquaculture space, yet where they're located, they're on the East coast of Canada, they're locked out from the conversations of the companies that can benefit from it. And the only thing that makes sense is, is their color, right? So they're, so to reach out to potential customers and look for different opportunities, it's harder for a black founder in that clean tech space over and above. So they've faced that double challenge. And one of the things we're looking at with black tech capital is not only being able to invest into these companies, I've been over 30 years in the energy industry. And so my networks and contacts are going to be key for a lot of these companies to help connect them into that ecosystem. So I'm quite frankly, recognized that I have a level of privilege, one just based on my time in the industry, I have a level of pr privilege because I am, you know, not that your listeners can see this, but I'm a lighter skinned black person than others. And I recognize that privilege and very much plan to capitalize on it and helping these founders connect and get into areas that they may not typically do. Awesome. And so you've given the perfect segue into the next phase. So I don't know if it's intentional, but kudos to you, because now that you've given us sort of the sense of what you're aiming out to do getting started, I'd love to take a, st a couple steps backwards to talk about how you got here. Obviously, as he's mentioned, your path could not have been an easy one, given the set of barriers you've already explained as to what it looks like to be a black entrepreneur in clean tech. Mm -hmm. And yet here you are with your history that you're able to now try to give back. And so how did you find yourself doing this work? That's a, uh, it's a good question. And it, it wasn't a planned path by, by training, schooling. I'm an engineer and that's what I graduated from uh, the University of Toronto with, but I say this path goes back a little further. I looked on the entrepreneur side where. I go back to my roots on my dad's side, my father and my grandfather were both entrepreneurs. And on my mom's side, my great grandfather was an entrepreneur, which is quite the feat given he owned his own pharmacy back in Guyana and South America as a black man, that was a huge feat. So part of me just feels it's like this drawback to my roots to, to becoming an entrepreneur. Cause when I graduated, I went into the corporate world first. I worked in the oil and gas industry for, for 15 years, but I was always felt drawn back to that. And I go back, I tell the story a lot where my first job was selling golf balls at the age of eight or nine, I used to go in the Don river, fish out golf balls, clean them up and sell them back to golfers on the golf course. And, you know, I still remember to this day that a Jack Nicholas golden bear was the prized possession. I could sell one of those for a dollar. And that's how I paid to go to the movies. That's how I paid to go to the science center. And I used to run different businesses throughout the elementary school, high school. I had a DJ business. So yeah, it was almost inevitable that I fell back into the entrepreneurial world and, and started creating my own businesses and developing from there. But in my journey, creating my own businesses, I had difficulty raising money. I didn't know about the venture capital space, to be quite honest. So part of me, what I'd like to give back is that education and understanding to other entrepreneurs out there, what's the different options available to them. 
but going the traditional routes. Even when I was on to my second business, the first business, I was a l- little bit luckily successful. I sold it within a year, half the business and did quite well, right place, right time. When I created my second business, I had a staff of 10 people. We were, you know, making great revenue. And after a year in, the, still the traditional banks, they could not get a loan. I wasn't even looking for investment. I was looking for a loan. And it was fortunate the BDC was the only entity that stepped up and they've funded two of my companies along the way now. So knowing that challenges that Black entrepreneurs have faced was one of the things that got me to where I was. The other part was last year when I looked at my business and saying, here's what we're doing. We're working sustainability. We're helping companies but there's only so much impact one business can make, right? And this climate crisis is huge. It's looming. It's coming faster and faster. And to me, it's not a technical problem as the way I see it. It's a people problem and people challenges and whether those be political or capital. And so I started looking at venture funds for entrepreneurs and how to get into that and literally went through a learning curve this year with the help of a institution called VC Lab in the U.S., how to build a venture fund, how to go out and talk to investors to go into your venture fund, but wanting to, again, make a difference for Black entrepreneurs and wanted to amplify and make a bigger difference for the environment in a shorter period of time. And that's what led me here. Looking at two, for me, I'm clear that one of the reasons I'm here is to help other people make their dreams come true, right? It's not about my dreams or what it's helping other people's dreams come true and helping overall, as I like to say, good for people, good for planet. Everyone has their own sort of angle, I think, into the overlapping crises that we are facing. And you mentioned quite clearly that one of the impetuses is your understanding of the need for speed in terms of getting real action. And so if you could, I'd be so interested to hear how you see where we exist right now in the world as a a species and what we need to do to get to a better place, shall we say? My take on it, one, I guess there's two parts to that. I, the one of the reasons I became an engineer is I'm a problem solver. I love solving problems. I love helping to solve problems. So I have always a deep seated belief that any problem can be solved. So on that perspective. I think we can solve it. Then I also go back and I look throughout history. And my take on history is as a species, whether good or bad, unfortunately, we don't react until it's right there in our face and it's really bad and we need to do something about it. So I see that over the next 10 years, climate disasters are going to keep increasing. It's going to get worse. It's an inevitable. Island nations are in huge trouble. And and for me, being from the Caribbean, being from South America, it becomes personal because I know a lot of people living all throughout the Caribbean. They're going to face that as sea levels rise. We're going to see more droughts, things like what we saw this year in British Columbia, where you've got fires in the summer and then landslides and stuff in, in the winter. So I'm realistic in the perspective, this will get worse. But I'm optimistic in as things get worse, we will react and do something about it. I believe that, as I said, I don't see the climate crisis as a technical problem. I don't see it as we can't solve it. I don't see it as we can't do it. We could do it 
in a very short period of time, reverse things if we really wanted to, but there's not yet the will or the impetus to do it, but I, it will come. It'll take more disasters for people to do something about it. But I don't believe in the, we're doomed as a species. I believe that we're going to solve this. It's just, when are enough people going to wake up and start doing something about it? I know that right now for what I'm doing, it's about investing into black entrepreneurs in the clean tech space and helping them develop companies that will mitigate the crisis. Because I believe if we leave out segments, if we leave out black entrepreneurs, if we leave out indigenous entrepreneurs, who knows that they're not the next one to come up with the next great idea that's going to ch rapidly change one particular area or the other. I know working with climate ventures at the Center for Social Innovation, I see so many awesome ideas and, and technologies and solutions come out. So I believe the solutions are all there, but it's getting people on board to start doing it. And that's first an individual level, then you're, you're into the political level. There's part of me that one day believes I'm going to have to run for politics and take it on from that perspective. But the overall answer is I'm hopeful and it's just how soon is the big question mark that are we going to start reversing things? Right. That makes sense. And so that probably answers a bit of the secondary question that I have for you, but I also be interested in the times when you may have doubts or the times when you might watch or be watching these some of the more horrific versions of climate change playing out. How do you combat that climate anxiety? How do you get yourself back to center to this place that of, of hopefulness that you so clearly embody? I don't try to figure out how I answer that question because I'm not typically a person that runs in that high anxiety range. And where I guess I would take it back to would be the start of the COVID pandemic, right at the beginning of it in March, I was like everyone else, not sure where this was going, afraid, should we even go outside, just in a full on panic. And for me, one of the things that I, I happened to pick up at the time was a book called The Body. And it explained how viruses and bacteria and how the human bodies work and where it's evolved over time. And it gave me a better scientific understanding for what was going on and, and how things like the COVID virus react and what they do and put some science and realism behind it. And to me, that's where I see the same thing with the climate crisis. I know stuff is going to happen. I know individuals will be affected. I know whole economies will be impacted and affected. And Knowing that for me is still just, it's a problem to be solved. For me, it's more finding out what kinds of things to expect. What will it look like? I consider being very fortunate living in a Toronto area, right? In that we're not on any of the coasts. So we're not anywhere subject to, you know, water level rises of the same nature, but we will have our impacts here. So I educate myself. I guess that's probably the, the bottom line answer is I educate what will happen. And then as I know, then I can prepare for that from a point of being educated. And I stay away from the media. I think the, the media right now, unfortunately, except for programs like yourself that are trying to promote what else is out there, the, the general typical media is about building fear to try to get people afraid. And I don't subscribe to that. So I avoid it. I mean, I stopped listening to 
most media in general at the start of the pandemic because it was just, let's make you more afraid. Let's make you more afraid. So to what I would say to people is get yourself informed, look at different sources, check your sources. I mean, how many times you look at something, you believe it, read it on the internet and then, oh no, that's not exactly true. So get more informed and that's how I deal with it. Awesome. And so let's go back then to the problem solvers, because that's clearly where your deep passion lies. Can you tell us about some of the examples of companies that this fund might invest in or could invest in and the things that bring you excitement to be able to say, yes, these are real problem solvers doing real good things. I'll start off with one company because it's on the carbon capture side, because that's something we hear about all the time, carbon capture and carbon credits. And I'm not a big fan of, here, let's just go out and suck carbon out of the year and bury it underground, right? It's not, it doesn't seem to me as a, necessarily a realistic or a good approach, even though some form of that may be necessary. So this company, they're looking at existing industrial processes are out there. Instead of emitting that carbon dioxide up into the atmosphere, how can they divert that and use it? So they have a patented technology that can take that carbon dioxide and convert it into acrylonitrile. Acrylonitrile is one of the precursors for creating carbon fiber. It's a precursor for some of the plastics that go into 3D printing plastics. So it's sequestering that carbon in a useful form that we need day in and day out. But their big goal is to remove a gigaton of uh, carbon diverted from going into the atmosphere. So that's one of the exciting companies. It's taking something that we're doing day in and day out, turning it into something useful, and then preventing those carbon emissions. Another company is on the aquaculture side. Aquaculture, it's one of those areas that you can argue, is it good, is it bad? Because you're not necessarily getting an ocean, but they're being able to do things like look the big problem with aquaculture is being disease through the fish populations and that running rampant. So they have used AI technology and predictive models so they can look at monitoring certain things like on a simple level, like pH and temperature, but looking at the fish health, looking at the fish population, how the fish are responding to be able to ensure that you have that healthy fish population. They're taking it from just being a lot of the challenges sometimes in the fish farming is when you have fish farming in an ocean or sea environment where they're looking to move it, work with fish farmers on in a land-based environment. So right now, starting off, they're looking at a lot of small and medium-sized farmers. They're looking at farmers in countries in Africa, like Nigeria and Zimbabwe, Uganda, where it's now becomes a source of sustainable food for people that may be facing food scarcity. That's actually where the two co-founders came out from, was looking and seeing and facing, seeing people around the world facing this food scarcity. And that's what really gave them that impetus to create this. And so it's an opportunity for that. It's an opportunity for even things like in places like Uganda, where women have had to trade sex for fish to be able to feed their families, if they can get into fish farming, not only not have to go through that horrible thing of trading sex for fish, but they can feed their families, create a business. So I'm excited supporting a company like that, that's having an impact on so many different levels with what they're doing. Another company out there that we're looking at potentially investing in the created a battery technology 
So they're using traditional battery technology, but they're going into communities, places again around the world that don't have your traditional electricity system, a reliable grid. They've provided a battery that instead of selling it to people, they rent it. So people are able now to affordably go out, rent these batteries, rent the system to power their businesses, power their homes, whatever they need. And what they've found in the last two months is that people not only want to rent the batteries, they want to rent the solar system for charging the batteries because their whole initiative at first was, we'll give you the batteries, then we take them back, bring them to a solar grid, charge it there, and then deploy it. But they're now saying people actually want the whole setup in, in their house to begin with. But it's that initial cost of capital of getting in of buying a system that's too much for most people. This option to rent it that now is great. So again, they're disrupting and changing how the things are being traditionally done. And it's not your traditional electricity grid system. Another company is looking at that environmental monitoring. And some of the places where we need to monitor extreme remote regions, whether places in northern Canada, mined, where you're looking at what are their tailing ponds doing or monitoring forests, what's happening. You can deploy sensors into these areas, but you don't have a cell network to be able to bring that data back in any anywhere near real time. And they've developed a technology to really extend that sensor network to be able to get those data back from those remote areas. So they're playing a different role in allowing us to put better strategies available because we can get the data now to see what's happening. So those are examples of some of the companies we're looking at here right now to potentially invest into. Awesome. And so I'm going to throw you one more curveball before we get to our uh, last question, which is you clearly have such a wealth of knowledge about building companies and bringing companies to some growth stage. I'm curious if you could give people who are listening to the show are often a lot of young folks who might be interested and there's any number of ways to get involved in climate, but one way is obviously entrepreneurial efforts. And so do you have some like go-to suggestions for folks who are just getting started or in that earlier stage, even before they would even begin to think about funding, but, you know, even trying to get that first step forward? I guess a couple of things I would suggest. To me, the founders that I find that are typically more successful are those that are doing something they're passionate about. And it even goes back to, you say, turn your hobby into your job and you'll never work another day in your life. So if you're finding something you're passionate about, if you're saying, hey, I want to make a difference in for the climate and for, for the environment or people, whatever the area may be, if you're doing something that you personally have a passion to connect to, like I said, the founders that were doing the aquaculture, they grew up in countries where they faced that food scarcity. And so that's what gave them the impetus. Or I've talked to a founder, you know, not exactly in the same area, but they've developed an app and a whole system for managing diabetes because he watched his uncle go through it and lose a foot and then eventually lose his life. So finding that passion, right, is usually one piece of advice I give. Another great one is there's a lot of people creating startups and new companies now. There's lots of different companies in the climate space. Get involved with one of them, right? You So... The best way to learn how to be an entrepreneur and to be in it is to work under another entrepreneur and, and somebody doing this. So there's so many different opportunities to get into it without having to 
say, risk it all on your own at first when this is maybe something new? Because I know there's some entrepreneurial programs in different schools and universities teaching it, but nothing beats going out and actually doing it for yourself. So if you get involved in an early stage startup, you get to touch so many different aspects of it. Not to knock it entirely, I started off the first half of my career in the corporate world. And that learning I got from the corporate world is what I'm now, I brought into the entrepreneurial side. And, and it's what's actually helping me help a lot of my founders because, hey, these guys are great at aquaculture and understand that AI technology, but they don't know HR. They don't know how to create an IT department or audit and bookkeeping accounting. So one of the things we're going to do at Black Tech Capital is we are going to provide those resources through partnerships with other companies and make it easier for them. So going in all that to say, to answer your question, if you go into the corporate world and learn things on that end, there's things you can carry forward into that. I, I see a lot of younger people as they go into the to corporations, they can demand change. Companies are looking for more and more people. People are a little bit of a scarcity right now for companies. And so as a younger person, you have your choice a lot of times now where you can go and work. And so pick companies that are being environmentally responsible, hold them accountable, going to that interview and say to them, what's ask them that, that question, what are you doing around equity and diversity? What are you doing around climate change? What initiatives does your company have in place to make sure it's carbon neutral or reducing its carbon footprint? And the more people that ask that question, the more companies are saying, Hey, we've got to do something about this. Otherwise we're not going to be able to hire people. So those are some things that people can look to do. Awesome. And so folks have now listened, and I'm sure are inspired by what you're aiming to do. How can folks make sure that they don't miss what you do next or keep involved or keep understanding or knowing what's going on with Black Tech Capital? I'll, I'll go through it two ways. Eventually, we will be launching a website. There is, I'll just say there's Ontario Securities Commission reasons why some of it has to stay sort of in a, a semi-stealth mode at the moment, but it will be under blacktechcapital.com, B-L-A-C-K. T-E-C-A capital.com. So that's what will be eventually up and running. The easiest way right now is to follow me, Brian Duarte, B-R-Y-A-N-D-U-A-R-T-E. You know, you can follow me on LinkedIn, usually a lot there. That's the easiest way right now to, to stay in touch and see what's happening. And from there, I'll make announcements of uh, what's coming next and people can follow on from there. We had a newsletter, it paused for a little bit, but they will be launching a newsletter again shortly soon. So that will be another way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so it's our tradition to give uh, our guests last word. So I'll do that in half a second. But before that, uh, thank you so much, Brian Duarte, the co-founder and managing partner of Black Tech Capital. Super appreciate uh, having you on and all of your thoughts. And yeah, we broadcast to about eight or nine stations across Canada. So what do you have to say to folks? I guess what I'd say first is thank you very much, Stefan, for having me on the show. Overall to the people, I'd say, Canada is one of the world leaders in clean tech. We're ranked number two in the world. We're behind the United States, but that puts us ahead of companies like Germany, France, and Italy. So I see this as a great country and a great opportunity to develop opportunities in clean tech. I see this as also a place where we can do some leadership for black founders and, and encouraging black founders and getting involved. And so overall it's to me is. Going back to the question you asked me before about, you know, being hopeful, it means get informed, find out about 
diversity and inclusion. Find out about what you can do on the climate side and what's happening. Get yourself educated and look to see where you can fit yourself in and make a difference because this is not a technical issue in solving the climate problem. It's a people issue. And the more people get involved, the better.